0: Good morning, everyone. I'm R.W. Ostella with A Word in Edgewise. Today is the 25th of November, which is the 329th day of 2019. Hang on to your hats. We're on the double black diamond now. Whoosh, we've got 37 days until 2020. No warmth, no cheerfulness, no healthful ease, writes 19th century English poet Thomas Hood, Continuing toward a conclusion, no comfortable feel in any member, no shad, no shine, no butterflies, no bees, no fruits, no flowers, no leaves, no birds, no November. Although many of Hood's sentiments in the poem "No" seem pretty much on target. Hyperbole tends to carry the day, as we, at least in down east Maine, can testify, since, for example, we have a variety of birds making the rounds, even in late November, in in these last few weeks of autumn. Just ask Bob DeShane, local bird expert, who will recommend you watch not only for individual birds, but also for flocks of them, such as European starlings, pigeons, house sparrows, American goldfinches, pine siskins, common redpoles, pine grosbeaks, cedar waxwings, bohemian waxwings, red crossbills, white-winged crossbills, mourning doves, and snow buntings. Some of these, the red crossbills, evening grosbeaks, and bohemian waxwings, for example, are known as eruptive, a word that begins with an I, and means, as Duchesne explains, that they are coming and going via Maine as they please. When Maine has a good cone crop, they are apt to stay and nest here. Here in Orno we are occasionally visited by wandering flocks of about a dozen or so morning doves, looking for gardens such as ours, where the gardener is not of the fastidious sort as far as making everything neat and tidy this time of year. Rather, we only cut down a few dried stalks here and there, using them as kindling in the fireplace. Nearly everything else we leave to dry. Much of it remains standing with seed pods ready to harvest by avian visitors. In another few weeks, when we are officially in winter and the ground will mostly be covered in snow, the dried remains of our once lush summer garden becomes quite the draw for a variety of bird species sometimes jostling each other for momentary visiting rights, depending upon their perceived pecking order, no pun intended. Easily spooked, the mourning doves will predictably be displaced by feathered opportunists of lesser size and number. A single arriving jay, for instance, may prompt the instantaneous unified exit of a dozen mourning doves. And speaking of Jays, this past Friday was purportedly the anniversary of the Oklahoma Safety Council in Ada, Oklahoma, in 1955, offering $5 to catch jaywalking offenders. Money was paid out weekly on a lottery basis relative to how many jaywalkers had been reported that week. One of the stipulations was that the jaywalker had to be caught in the act. Decades earlier, however, at the turn of the 20th century, is when the term jaywalk made its entrance into the vernacular, the result, as we might imagine, of the often sketchy interaction among pedestrians, horse-drawn carriages, and the up-and-coming automobile. 21st century buzzword aficionados of the questionable term intersectionality might well wonder about the usefulness of that word when studying the etymology of jaywalk. A compound word in which the syllable J has ancient pejorative connotations, signifying a sort of general purpose curse word referring to an ignorant or dull or inexperienced person. Today is the anniversary of the eruption in 1986 of the Iran-Contra affair, about which President Ronald Reagan revealed that the United States had been involved in secret arms deals. Surprise, surprise. Today is also the birthday of C- Carrie Emily Moore, born in Girard County, Kentucky, in 1846. Born in poverty to a father who was a slave owner and a mother who believed herself to be Queen Victoria, Carrie Moore, biographer Ed Morrow tells us, was surrounded by female relatives who were unanimous in their negative opinion of men, considering them all unscrupulous seducers. Carrie's dating consisted of sitting in the parlor with her gentleman callers discussing the Bible. Hand-holding and hayrides were prohibited. Nevertheless, Carrie was eventually married to an inattentive husband, a young physician and alcoholic whom she left, and who died six months later, leaving her free to marry an ugly but rich widower, a lawyer, journalist, and minister 20 years older than she, with whom she was also unhappy. He hated her religious fanaticism and she found sex with him disgusting. He divorced her in 1901 on the grounds of desertion. Carrie kept her husband's last name, however, and as Carrie Nation, she continued the activism she had begun in 1890. The temperance movement would make her a celebrity. With a small, Band of hymn-singing female followers, an increasingly incensed Carrie nation would smash up Kansas saloons with a hatchet. Soon, these activities would be known as hatchetations, so-called by Carrie herself. And in quick succession, her targets also became tobacco, foreign foods, Teddy Roosevelt, the Masons, nearly all men, buggy-riding couples, nude paintings, and sex in general. All of these abominations, as she termed them, became detailed in her weekly columns in what she felt were variously uplifting newsletters appearing under titles such as The Smasher's Mail, The Hatchet, and The Home Defender. Today is the birthday as well of Joe DiMaggio in 1914, of Ricardo Montalban in 1920, of John Laroquette in 1947, and of John F. Kennedy Jr. in 1960. Look to the West during these late autumn evening skies for a reprise of the Summer Triangle, a signature star formation in the Northern Hemisphere, which showcases three brilliant stars, Vega, Deneb, and Altair, in three separate constellations. And don't forget Squanto in a few days. From Orono, Maine, I'm R.W. Estella, with a word in edgewise, Happy Thanksgiving.